Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's that time of year again. Everyone's talking about their plans for Thanksgiving, whether it be to complain about having to visit their obnoxious relatives or boasting about all the great food they're going to be stuffing down their gobs in the next few days. Not me, though. I don't have anything against Thanksgiving specifically, mind you. It's the day after that has my stomach in a knot. The day we've come to know as Black Friday. No, I'm not, like, some anti-consumerist or anything like that. A few years ago... Something happened to me when I was out shopping, and ever since then, I've found myself increasingly anxious by that one little date on the calendar. Now, I'm not some anti-consumerist or anything like that. A few years ago, something happened to me while I was out shopping, and ever since then, I've found myself increasingly anxious by that one little date on the calendar. Shopping hadn't been my intention that day. In fact, it had been the furthest thing from my mind. I just spent all of Thursday one state over at my sister's place to celebrate with her family. After several hours of non-stop crying from her kids and being crowded by in-laws, I was ready to go home and play hermit for the rest of the long weekend. It wasn't until I drove by a large outlet mall and saw a sign for a cheap flat screen TV that I decided to stop and take a look. The sad truth is that my own TV was plenty big enough already. I didn't need a new one, I just wanted one because of how cheap it was. Drawn in by the sale, I packed in the busy lot and wandered in through the main doors. As soon as I passed through the threshold, I was dazzled by the brightness of the interior. It was like leaving a dark movie theater in the middle of a winter day with a field of snow reflecting all the sun's rays right into my face. It was bad enough that I had to squint for a minute as my eyes adjusted to the brightness. I could hear a simple elevator-like tune playing the same short chorus over and over again, sounding somehow louder with each rotation. As my eyes began to focus, however, the music faded to the background, like a cockroach escaping to a dark corner. I looked around. I was in a mall. No surprise there. I was surrounded by pristine white walls, a flawless marble floor, and the lemony odor in the air all remind me of a newly sterilized operating room. Despite all the cars in the parking lot, the hall was strangely empty, but I could hear chatter of a crowd in the distance. There were bright neon lights flooding the empty hallway ahead of me, ushering me forward like a landing strip. I started to walk, but as I looked at the storefronts, I noticed most of the shops were still closed. It was odd. It was in the middle of the afternoon on Black Friday. If there was ever a time for a store to be open, it was now. Curious, I approached the closest store and pressed my hand against its window, peering into the dark interior. As far as I could tell, it was devoid of both people and merchandise. All I could see were 
half-melted mannequin standing single file in a row of empty shelves. Judging by the amount of dust I could see, the store had been closed for quite some time. All of the stores were as empty as this one, so I figured this wing of the mall must have been under construction or something. I then headed toward the sound of a crowd. The mall's appearance seemed to deteriorate the closer I got to the sound of a crowd, bringing credence to my theory that I'd entered a part of the mall that was in the process of being renovated. They were probably finishing up work on the stores before reopening them. Where the marble floor had once been flawlessly smooth, it was now littered with scuff marks, dents, and pieces of chewing gum. The walls had yellowed, and cracks had begun to form along their surface. Everywhere I looked, there were pieces of rubbish. Magazines, plastic shopping bags, wrappers, clothing, cardboard cutouts of cereal mascots, and even what appeared to be a brand new laptop. Among the garbage, I saw a wallet on the floor. Now, I'm not one of those sleazy jerks, so when I picked up the wallet, my intention wasn't to keep it for myself. I genuinely planned on returning it to its owner. However, as I fingered through it, I couldn't find a single piece of ID. Every available slot was filled with a different platinum credit card. No name marked on the front, no signature on the back. I checked the centerfold and found a whopping $3,000 in cash. I had two options. Bring it to the lost and found office or abide by the tried and true finder's keepers rule. I still hadn't decided even as I stuffed the wallet into my back pocket and gave it a firm slap. I mean, let's face it. If I did hand it over to the lost and found, they'd probably take the money for themselves, right? I figured I'd hang on to it for now and hopefully come across its owner looking for it. I continued down the empty hallways of blackened storefronts until I came upon Pluto's Depot, a large electronics store with a banner that read, Black Friday Sale. Everything must go. Hundreds of shoppers were running through the aisles, grabbing everything they could to get their greedy little hands on. They were screaming and clawing at each other shamelessly stealing items from each other's carts. It was like Black Friday on steroids. Or, well, a regular American Black Friday, really. I stood outside Pluto's Depot, wondering if I should turn back. Whatever deals this store had probably weren't worth it, right? I could feel the bulge of the stranger's wallet in my pants. Who's to say its owner wasn't inside? I certainly wasn't drawn in by the 50-7% to 7 off posters clumsily plastered all over the store's bumpy walls and displays. I for sure wasn't attracted to all the phenomenally low-priced gizmos and gadgets on the shelves. I definitely didn't have the money burning in my pocket, begging to be spent. Not at all. I was being selfless, really. That's what I told myself, at least. As I stepped through the door, I was assaulted with the familiar scent of plastic and upholstery, the famed new car smell. I squeezed through a group of frantic shoppers to get to the shopping cart dock. Unfortunately, it was empty. If I found a flat-screen TV I saw advertised outside the mall, I was going to have to carry it in my arms, and my arms were quickly filling up already. There were so many cool things to buy, and so few things left on the shelves. By the time I made it to the back, every single TV had been taken. 
All that was left in that section of the store was the latest smartphone. I don't remember the make and model, but I remember thinking, isn't this supposed to come out next month? So I grabbed it. I doubled back and decided to pursue the store more thoroughly, taking a few more objects as I went along, but as I walked through the aisles, I kept hearing the faintest groans coming from the posters on the wall. Groans that I ignored. I figured it was my imagination. Maybe I was hearing something from the other aisle. Hell if I know. With nothing else to buy, I parked myself at the back of the checkout line. It stretched all the way down the aisle and around the corner. I had an armful of stuff weighing me down, but it was worth it for the discount. I had enough gadgets to cover everyone's Christmas gifts, as well as a few things for myself. A miniature drone, a fancy remote-controlled car, my new phone, accessories, a laptop case, that kind of stuff. Even with everything carefully balanced between my forearms and chest, I still fought to open the phone so I could admire it. I was about to buy it, after all. Who cared if I opened the box before I paid? It was great. Sleek, skinny, light. I couldn't wait to charge it and start playing with it. I shuffled around impatiently and looked at the line. We hadn't moved. My neck was stiff. My feet were throbbing and my back was aching. The objects in my arms felt as though they were getting heavier and heavier by the minute. The line was taking forever and no one seemed to be leaving the store no matter how much time had passed. I was tempted to leave, but I couldn't give up. I wanted the deals. I wanted that phone. I wanted the gizmos and trinkets. I must have stood there for another ten minutes without moving before I got frustrated and glanced toward the people ahead of me. Why hadn't I moved? Had the cashier fallen asleep? I felt my stomach stop as my eyes scanned the line. The other customer's shoes had melted to the floor and their hands had merged with their shopping carts. The closer they got to the register, the less the shoppers looked human. Their shapes became less and less distinct, bending into the objects they were purchasing and the walls they were leaning against. I let out a scream and tried to take a step back, but my feet were stuck. I looked down, only to find my shoes had melted into the floor as well. It felt as though an immense weight had been lifted from my shoulders in the very literal sense, like that carnival ride that looks like a flying saucer, pinning you against the wall. I hadn't even realized how much pressure my body had been under until the pressure was gone, but it wasn't completely gone. My hand was impossibly heavy. It was the phone. I was still holding the phone. It was planted firmly in the palm of my hand. I could see its slick black casing melting into my flesh. My hand burned. Desperately, I clawed at the phone, trying to pry it from my skin, but it wouldn't budge. I remember flapping my arm up and down erratically as though I just caught a spider crawling up my hand. It wouldn't let go. The phone wouldn't let go of me. And then, by pure chance, my hand caught the wall and the phone shattered into bits and pieces, ripping one of the 70% off posters from the porous surface. I was too busy nursing my hand to notice the wall at first. 
It was only when I heard a groan that I looked up to find a tormented face looking back at me. Here. She. It had completely merged with the wall. Oh God, was the entire store like this? I remember sobbing as I plucked broken pieces of foam from my palm while never taking my eyes off the person in the wall. My hand throbbed with pain, but with each chunk I pulled out, it hurt just a little less. Thankfully, when the last piece of plastic dropped to the floor, I was able to move my feet again. I ran out of Pluto's depot without looking back or trying to help anyone inside. I ran through the hallway of cracked walls, stopping only long enough to realize there were eyes staring at me from within those cracks. I staggered out of the mall and ran into the completely empty parking lot. My car was the only one there, off in the distance. I turned around and instead of a large outlet mall that I'd walked into earlier, I found one of many crumbling abandoned buildings we see nowadays because of the recession. By the time I got home and checked my back pocket, the wallet was gone. That's why I like to stay home this time of year. Because honestly, that fake mall is still out there somewhere, and I have no way of knowing which doors will lead me to it. I'm afraid it will lure me back in, and I won't have the willpower to resist next time. It all started when my dog died. His name was George. And George had been my best buddy since I'd been 12. And as you can imagine, his passing away left a deep hole in my heart. Even bigger than the one I dug in my backyard to bury him. However, as people say, I was sure that one day I would move on from it. It was just that this process was taking far longer than I thought. I still found it hard to get up in the morning. I still found it hard to believe that I would never hear George's footsteps as he bounded into the house. I used to hate how he'd always make a mess walking in, but now I wanted nothing more than for him to walk in and tear the furniture to pieces one more time. In my grief, my sleeping pattern was pretty messed up. I ended up taking a nap after noon, and that lasted well into the evening, and as you can imagine, I didn't really feel like sleeping later on that night. I decided that maybe walking would clear my mind a little. I didn't want to be in my house as it brought back memories of George. George and I would usually go and take a walk in the nearby park, so I went on another route. This one ended up leading through a cemetery, which was a bit unnerving, but I didn't want to turn back at that point. It was during this walk that I saw something I wasn't expecting. A large group of people gathered around in a circle off in the distance. At first, I thought it might be the local parent-teacher association, PTA, and their meeting coming together, though now that I look back at what I saw, that seems unlikely. After all, all these people were wearing strange black cloaks and had this weird ornament around their necks. They were wearing masks. Nothing weird about that in these times, but these completely hid their faces. They were also holding knives, and one of them was tied up and gagged. Not to mention, why would the PTA meet outside of school, that too in a cemetery near midnight? 
Yeah, they probably weren't the PTA, but I hadn't pieced that out at the time. So I decided to walk up to them and say, Hello, thinking that some conversation might take my mind off things. One of them saw me approach and screamed, We've been found. Run. All at once, the gathered people scrambled away in random directions, even taking the man who'd been tied up with them. I was rather upset, as you can understand, that these people were avoiding me. How rude do you have to be to run away when you see someone? Anyway, I noticed something on the ground. It appeared that these people had dropped something in their hurry to get away from me. It was a rather thick book with the title written in a language whose letters I didn't recognize, so I assumed that it might have been French. I'd taken Spanish in school, you see, and so I had no knowledge of French. Now, these people might have been rude to me, but I figured I should still return the book to them. The only thing was, I didn't know who any of these people were, and the book didn't have an owner mentioned on the cover. While it's definitely not a nice thing to go through someone's belongings, this could have been someone's diary for all I knew, I did want to return it to its owner and had no clue who that was. And so I began reading it. The text inside was also in that strange language, but someone had scribbled it out, what I guessed were translations in English. The handwriting even seemed a little familiar, but I chose to ignore it at the moment as my attention got to a page about something called necromancy. Apparently, it was possible to bring back to life someone, or something, as a zombie. It immediately piqued my interest, as that meant I might be able to see George again. I decided that I could hold back on giving the book back. I wanted to see if it was possible to bring my dog back first. I was sure whoever owned the book didn't need it back urgently or anything. Of course, I wanted to be sure about what I was doing first. I called my local veterinarian's office the next morning and asked about his medical opinion on bringing back an animal with dark magic, but I was swiftly disconnected. Sadly, both the WHO and the CDC didn't have any information on this, so I decided to just go ahead with it. Now, the whole thing required some ingredients, which I couldn't exactly find on Amazon, even eBay, so it took some time to get them together. When I was done, and the next new moon rolled around, I stood outside over George's grave and read out the incantation written in the book after I placed the regents over the grave. At first, nothing happened, so I was kind of disappointed. But then, I heard something. It sounded like muffled scratching beneath the earth. I began clearing it off, and eventually, I came upon a wriggling paw. A while later, I had unearthed George. He was a bit decomposed, but surprisingly, he didn't smell at all. He barked happily as he saw me, and I saw recognition in his eyes. Yeah, there were a couple of issues. For one, George seemed to reject everything that I wanted to feed him. He was undead, so I wasn't sure if this was an issue. Secondly, he was a lot more aggressive, at times trying to bite my hand. He never succeeded, though. But... I just thought this aggression was a side effect of having been buried. 
After all, I think I'd be a bit cranky too if I was buried underground for a few weeks. I decided to ignore these small flaws and instead spend as much time as I wanted with George. I can't describe to you how amazing it was to finally be with him after having lost him. It felt as if I was whole again. Aside from a few violent outbursts, he was just as playful as he always been. While it was nice playing around with George, I remembered the book and the fact that I was supposed to return it. See, I'd said that I'd sort of recognized the handwriting. I thought it belonged to my neighbor, who I'll call John here, and so I showed it to his house holding the book. Here, John, I think you dropped this, I said. Immediately, his face turned to one of shock, and he vehemently denied owning it. But this is your handwriting, right? I pointed out. He said no. It must be some mistake, and that I should just take the book away and leave. He kept looking around frantically, as if afraid that someone might be watching us. Alright, if you don't want it, then I paused. But I should thank you for this... I mean, I managed to get my dog back, thanks to this. His eyes widened as I explained what I'd done, and he began to freak out even more, asking to see my dog. I complied. After all, John had played with George before. I took John to visit George, and John began to freak out for some reason. I thought he'd be happy to see George again, but he didn't share my joy at having my pet back. I think this is what set George off, because he's normally such a friendly dog, but he went ahead and bit John on the leg. It was a shallow bite, and I offered to wash it with some soap and water before driving him to get a rabies shot, but Josh just sprinted away at that point, and... I had to hold George back to prevent him from attacking John. I got that John was kind of rude to George, but still, I didn't want my dog to hurt John anymore. Next day, I got a call from John's number, but it was his wife, Jane. She told me how John had been acting weird ever since he'd come to see me with George, and she was asking if he'd taken drugs or something. I asked her what he was doing that was so weird, and... He said that his skin was now grayer, and he had bitten her in bed last night. I told her I thought that was kind of kinky, and not that I'd be comfortable with it, but if it was what the two of them had wanted to do, I had no real business judging them for it. For some reason, she got frustrated when I said this, and she hung up on me. Things have gotten progressively weirder over the weeks since then, guys. My town's been put in lockdown for the past three days, I thought it was the virus that's been going around the world lately, but it seems to be something different. People have been whispering about zombies, but they've hushed up now that the military's been involved and has stationed troops here. I hear gunshots occasionally throughout the day, so I had to move George inside since he gets agitated easily by loud sounds. I won't lie, I'm getting kind of scared now. I haven't heard from John or Jane for a couple of days, and they aren't picking up their phone can't help but feel that somehow I might be responsible for all that's happening. But even if there is a zombie apocalypse, all zombies can't be bad, right? I mean, George is one, and he seems to be fine for the most part. I really hope the military doesn't feel like they have to take George away. That's what scares me the most. I can't stand losing him for a second time. What do you guys think I should do? Please, answer quickly. I think they might cut off our internet and... I'd like some advice before they do.
The disc came in a red, shiny, padded envelope that was clearly meant for Christmas, even though that was two months away. It was unmarked other than my address and the postage, and my first thought was that it was some kind of junk mail. Some new software or DVD sampler for some subscription service that I hadn't heard of streaming yet. When I opened it, there was a DVD inside. Not something professionally done with a label or anything, but one of those recordable discs that had something written on it in black marker. It just said, Home Security Vids. Folded neatly inside the jewel case like liner notes for some low-budget garage band was a letter written in cramped handwriting on a single sheet of spiral-bound notebook paper. Several white tags fluttered away like confetti as I slid the paper free and unfolded it, the scrawls of blue ink pulling me in as I put the envelope aside and sat down. Hello, Mr. Brewster. You may now remember me. When I was 15, I had to go stay at Parkview Home for Troubled Teens for six weeks. This was before I got diagnosed and got on the meds that helped me manage my bipolar. I had a real hard time there, both because I was so lonely and because I was so scared and crazy. You were one of the counselors there at the time, and you were always real nice to me. We only talked a few times, but you made me realize it was just my chemistry that was off, not me being a kook. I don't think I'd have made it without you. So, first of all, thank you for that. I was so happy when I tried looking you up online to see that you've got a big practice in Denver now. I'm sure you're still helping people now, just like you helped me. I'd like to see your office sometime, but I know Denver is far away and you're really busy anyway. Still, I wanted to say thank you and congratulations on what you've done. But I'm also writing because I need your help. I don't have many people here that I trust, and those that I do, I don't want them looking at me like I'm crazy if there's no reason to. I know this doesn't make sense. (laughs) I need to get to the point. I think someone has been coming into my house while I'm asleep. Coming in and messing with me. At first I thought it was my imagination, but then I started feeling strange, weaker, and less somehow. I swear I can see it in my shadow. It took me a while to notice, but I think it seems lighter and thinner than it used to look. Oh boy, you're saying. This is a crazy one here. Get the butterfly nets, right? (laughs) No. Please. Please listen to me. I know how this sounds. I do. And I've been doing really well for the last 20 years on my meds. I have a job. I date people. I have friends. I tried to ignore this for a long time, but it kept getting worse. It just kept getting worse. And I was scared I'm either crazy or someone is really coming in and hurting me somehow, making me sick. So I got a security camera and set it up. I didn't want to have it in my bedroom where I change and stuff, so I put it out in the hallway and checked on it every morning. First few days, there was nothing on it, just a boring hallway. But then last night, I saw them. Five dark figures coming down the hall and going into my bedroom while I was asleep. And even with the night vision camera on, I couldn't tell anything much about them other than their faces. Their bodies were just long and 
billowy. Like they had on robes or ponchos or something. But their faces were glowing. Not a lot. Not enough I could see who they were, really, but kind of like a glow stick a few hours after you snap it. Maybe it was the camera making it look like that. I don't, I don't know, but I know what I saw. I mean, I think that's what I saw. That's why I'm sending you this. It's the video from the hallway. I don't trust showing it to someone in my life in case there's nothing there, and I'm not trying to take up a bunch of your time and worry you with my problems. Please, please just watch it. Just watch it and tell me you see what I saw. Please write it on the bottom of this letter and send it back. I'm including a stamped envelope with my address so you can just drop it in the mail. The disc you can keep or throw away. I know how this sounds. I do. And I'm going to move the camera into my room tonight, but I don't want to wait to send this to you. Please respond when you can. Thank you again. I just want to know I'm not crazy. Sincerely, Marty Langton. I reread the letter and then looked inside the padded envelope again. He was right. There was a small folded cream-colored envelope with the same handwriting on the front. Marty Langdon in Baltimore, Maryland. I tried to remember him from my time working at Parkview, but nothing came to mind. It'd been so long ago, after all, and I'd worked with so many kids and adults since then. Still, his letter touched me. I was already running through possible diagnoses and scenarios in the back of my mind, but all of that could wait. For now, this Marty Langdon needed my help. He needed to be heard. So I put the disc in my laptop, checked it for viruses, and then hit play. The entire video was only three minutes long, and the first two were just an empty hallway lit by the ghost fire glow of infrared. And then a shape began swimming out of the green-tinged dark at the far end of the hall. It was a person in... Was that a mask? It was hard to be sure. Some kind of mask or face paint that gave a slight luminescence, but not enough for me to make out much detail, even as they drew closer to the camera. Behind them, I saw another, and then another figure come into view. The fourth stepped from the shadows, even as the first stopped at a door further down the hall and opened it wide. In a matter of seconds, five figures of light and shadow had appeared and disappeared into what I supposed was Lincoln's bedroom. My first thought was that this was a prank. But why? It seemed unlikely that someone would target me specifically, and if it was at random, how had they known who I was? What I did for a living, where I worked 20 years ago. This Marty could be behind it himself. 
Even if everything else he said was true, this could be something he staged, and I learned a long time ago it was folly to try and apply logic to an illogical mind. But still, it hadn't felt fake. Not the letter, not the video itself. And I needed to start from a place of assuming that whatever had really happened, Marty Lingdon needed my help. Using his name and the address on the return envelope, it only took a few minutes to find a number for him, but it only rang. My plan was to try the number again that evening, and if I still got no response, mail him back the letter with a note telling him what I saw and offering to talk to him if he wanted. But that afternoon, I got a call on the office phone. It was a detective with Baltimore Police Department. They were just following up on an accidental death case that had happened the day before. A man named Marty Langdon had burned to death, and in looking around his home, they found a partially written letter addressed to me. How did it happen? The fire, I mean. There was a pause, and then... Well, that's the thing. We don't know, really. The fire investigator has found no sign of accelerant, and none of the witnesses saw the guy do anything to himself beforehand, so we can't say it was self-inflicted. Witnesses? Where did this happen at? No, it happened right outside Penn Station Garage. The guy driven there, parked his car, and got out. According to a family headed home, and security footage we have, as soon as he stepped out into the sun, he goes up like a Roman candle. Never seen anything like it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I... Look, I don't think it's going anywhere, but can we get a copy of that letter and video? And if he said anything else before he died, will you send me a copy of that, too? Just trying to be thorough, you know? Uh, yeah, sure, I... Sure. Uh... Detective? Yeah, what's up, Doc? What did the letter say? The one he was writing but hadn't sent to me yet. Oh, uh, let me see here. It was weird. Here it is. I don't cast a shadow anymore. They took it. <laughs> yeah, I was a nut, huh? I think you needed help. You just didn't get it in time. Yeah, sure thing. Wasn't trying to be disrespectful, just strange and all. Thanks again for your time, and mail me a copy when you can, yeah? Yeah, I will. The next day, another envelope came. This one was also festive, this time with shiny green instead of the deep red the day before. I debated whether I should even open it at all. Maybe I should just mail it to the detective instead. But then I thought about my conversation with him, and about the poor dead man that had reached out to me for help. I tore open the envelope and looked inside. There was another desk in the case, but no letter this time. Just a snowman sticky note on the front of the case with two words scratched across his white belly. Help me. The video was inside the bedroom now, and given the timing, I assumed it was the night after the last video. 
couple of days before Marty Langdon burned to death in the sun. The time counter said it was five minutes long, though I didn't see how that's possible. The camera had been set up in a high corner of the room, and I could see the man that must have been Marty Langdon lying in bed. Despite everything that had happened, real or imagined, he was somehow asleep, and he didn't stir when the door opened and the figures glided into the room. They surrounded him, two at his feet, two at his sides, and one at his head. The head of his bed was against a wall, so the figure at his head literally stood over him, straddling his face as he stared down at him. This... What was this? It wasn't a joke. This man hadn't died for a joke. So who were they? And what were they going to do to him? In unison, the five reached up and slid away. What I could now see were masks, after all. Masks that hid a brilliantly blazing light that made the camera switch from night vision to normal mode as they turned their burning faces down to Marty's sleeping form. I could see some color now. See the tendrils of golden light shoot through with something dark as it coiled from their heads and caressed his body. I saw him sit up, eyes wide and blindly staring, jaw slack as they coiled around him like snakes. His thin gray shadow danced fitfully on the wall, and as I watched it, it seemed to grow even dimmer, a shade of a shade being slowly consumed in their terrible light. This seemed to go on for a long time, and then they were done. Marty eased back into the troubled sleep, and they slid their masks back into place. They started to move toward the door when one of them paused paused and looked directly at the camera for a moment before lifting a hand in what might have been a wave. I've sent a copy of everything to the detective weeks ago, and while I've tried calling him again, I get no response. Not that I have more letters or videos to send him, at least not yet. The camera system I ordered just arrived today, and I'm waiting until nightfall to go out and get it. It's just confirmation, you see. A secondary check on what I already know is happening. Further proof that I'm not crazy when I tell someone that when the shadow thing waved at the camera, it was really waving at me. A part of me knows this is all crazy. Impossible. Just like part of me knows that all of this is happening, I should be able to prove it quickly enough. But I understand what Marty meant now. Better than I ever did before. The fear isn't just about being right, it's about being wrong. About people looking at you, judging you, pitying you for seeing what isn't there. Being afraid of you for what you believe is there. So no, it's better that I use the cameras first. Avoid direct sunlight and get hard evidence to back up my claims before I invite someone over some evening. I'll serve them dinner and engage in polite conversation, making it clear to them that I'm still sane and civilized despite my impromptu sabbatical from the practice. Then I'll show them some home videos without explanation and see what they see. Only then I'll ask them if they've noticed anything. They'll inquire. Noticed what? 
I'll hold up my hand, perhaps cast in the light from the fireplace, and wave it around to give them a second chance. Don't you see it? I'll ask. I don't cast a shadow anymore. Hello everyone, good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I'd have to say, my favorite one tonight was actually the second one. (laughs) I know it was a little silly, the character was a little ditzy, but I think that was part of the reason why I liked it so much. It was a nice change of pace, you know? It was fun, and I thought it was just kind of silly. The scariest one, though, is definitely um, the third one. Something about not having a shadow scares the hell out of me. I cannot explain why. Um, But, going to the Black Friday story. That's where I want to leave you all with a question for this video. Do you plan on doing any Black Friday shopping in-store? I know a lot of people are going to be hitting up Black Friday or Cyber Monday deals online. Amazon, Best Buy, maybe even beauty supply stores, wherever, you know. Um, But I'm curious if any of you are going to risk the biscuit and go for, like, actual stores. I'm definitely not. Probably because I'm not going to have any money to do so. But um, I just... I still don't feel super safe being in a a large group of people. (laughs) Um, But also, I don't really need anything that would go on sale. So, I'm just not going to mess with Black Friday sales. And I personally have worked retail at Black Friday once at a Target in Greensboro. It's like the third largest city in North Carolina. And I witnessed one of the undercover, undercover security officers tackle a woman who tried to run away with a computer. So, you know, I just don't want to be a part of that this year. (laughs) Um, But I do, I I am curious, are you all going to participate? If you are, what are you planning on getting? If you're not, why are you staying home? And I don't know if you'd have your schedule by now, but if you work retail and you have to work Black Friday, just know that you're in my thoughts And I'm sending you all the best vibes that I possibly can because I've been there. It's, it's rough, but Hey, you get a holiday pay. So I mean, there's that. So let me know what you thought about the stories in tonight's videos. Let me know what your plans are for Thanksgiving. Let me know what your plans are for uh, black Friday. Let me know what your plans are just in general. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, what are you doing this holiday season that you're excited about? Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Take care of yourselves and those around you. And as always, sleep tight.